So last week we started looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we made our way through the Beatitudes. If you missed that, then uh, it's you can go back and watch the recording or listen to the recording. It's also on our podcast site, and you can get that, the first part of uh, Matthew chapter number 5, where he starts out the Sermon on the Mount, starts talking about the Blessed, those are the Beatitudes. Today we're going to be looking at verse number 13. Give you a chance to turn there, Matthew chapter number 13. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most intense teaching that Jesus Christ did while he was here. It's one of the the most um, intensive portions of the entire Bible. There's more theological truth in every verse than probably even Proverbs. And Proverbs is very, very heavy when it comes to that. It's very, you can read the, the book of Proverbs and almost every verse is a lesson. So it is with the Sermon on the Mount. Now this was something that we look at, and we look at a lot of these things we've heard before, and they're not foreign to us, but a lot of what's being taught here is being taught for the very first time in this world. And this was startling to the disciples, who are the ones that are being taught here, but it's also startling to the religionists of that day that are overhearing it and listening and, and, and kind of eavesdropping on what's being said. And it's startling to them because it's a, it's a complete change from what they've been doing. The religionists of that day, like many religionists of this day, they, they've taken what God has said and, and it looks too easy, it looks too simple, so, so they start adding things to it to make it more difficult. They create more hoops to jump through. And there were lots of hoops to jump through. And Jesus is breaking those things down, but he's not just breaking down their, their bad teaching, he's also at the same time introducing new teaching or a new understanding of old teaching, a deeper understanding of old teaching. This little parable, this one, little, one verse parable that he teaches here, it, it, there's so much in it. He talks about the salt in verse number 13. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Like I said, I'm, I'm guessing this isn't the first time you've heard this verse. But I wonder how often we stop and really focus in on that verse. This, is, this one verse is a complete sermon from Jesus Christ. It's a complete teaching from Jesus Christ. Salt is different. It's distinctive. It changes things. By its nature and its purpose, it's different. By nature, believers are, are a new creature. We're a new creation. We are a new being, born of God. And it's different because of purpose. The purpose of the believers is to penetrate, to change the world that we live in today. We are the salt. Now remember we talked last week that this is a, a message given to the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now there may have been others that were there that heard it, but this wasn't something he was teaching to the multitudes. He's walked away from the multitudes. He's gone up onto the mount. I'm not saying they couldn't hear it, but it wasn't meant for them. Because this message isn't meant for the world. This message is meant for the disciples of Jesus Christ. When he says, ye are the salt, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to his disciples. He's telling them, you are the salt. Your character has to be like salt. Salt is, is distinctive. There's nothing else like salt. It's totally different. It's different from the food that it's put upon. We don't put salt upon salty things. 
We put salt on things that are different. Salt is distinctly different. We are to be distinctly different. James 1.27 says we're, we're to be unspotted from the world. To be unspotted. We're supposed to be different from the world. Distinctly different. Not just a little bit different. Salt is distinctly different. That full verse in James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is a day-to-day ministry for the disciple of Jesus Christ. This is a tough thing to do, to remain unspotted from the world. Because the world is constantly coming at us. The world is constantly trying to spot us. And, and put its stains upon us, and hang its signs upon us, and, and to, to identify us, and to change us to be more and more like the world. TV does this. We see repetition of, of, of themes upon TV and TV shows. We see the themes in, in commercials. We see the, the themes on the news, and they're, they're trying to change our minds. They're trying to conform us to this world. They're trying to make us spotted. They're trying to get us dirty. And as Christians, we need to be like good salt. We need to be distinctive from the world. Not the same as the world. Distinctive from the world. Another characteristic of salt is it preserves. Salt preserves. You can take a piece of meat and lay a piece of meat out and and uh, in pretty short order, it starts to, to degrade. It starts to deteriorate. But if you cure it with salt, which is something that sailors used to do so they would have meat on their journeys, salted meat... Meat that's been properly cured with salt, either soaking it in a brine solution or rubbing it with salt, it can last 18 months because the salt keeps it pure. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, part of what we do in this world is we help preserve this world. The only thing that is holding back the wrath of God from this world right now is us, the salt. Once the rapture takes place and we're gone, we see the wrath of God start being poured out upon the earth. The full judgment of God. Yeah, we like to think about God, and we like to think about the, the one side of the coin where it's all love and peace and mercy, and, and that's great. That is God. But understand, there's another side to that coin. There's a justice. There's an accountability. And where God has mercy, he also, at some point, has to have judgment. Because if there was no judgment, if there was no other side of the coin, mercy would, would mean nothing. Today, it's all being restrained. God is is purposely restraining himself while his salt is here. He's also restraining Satan. We look at the world today, and we're like, how much more evil could it get? Understand, if Satan wasn't being restrained today, it would be so much worse. We get a, a glimpse of that in the book of Revelation, where not only is God's judgment being poured out upon the world, but we see Satan's wrath, Satan's hatred for God, and Satan's hatred for you, and Satan's hatred for this creation that God has made. We see that being poured out in the book of Revelation also. But not while the salt is here. While the salt is here, he's restrained. He's like a dog on a leash. Salt also penetrates. It penetrates, it inserts new qualities and, and substance and life. It, it changes that that has been put upon. When you put salt upon something, it changes it. It makes it better. It brings out flavor in food when we put salt upon it. 
It changes it. It penetrates it. It brings, it brings a new flavor to it. it. It brings a distinctive flavor to it. It enhances the taste of things. As Christians, we're supposed to take the bland tastelessness of this world and make it palatable, make it enjoyable, make it desirable in this world. That's why I always wondered why so many churches... So some people, by the way, not you guys, you guys are pretty good. That little thing I did at the beginning, the little impersonation, that would have driven people out the door in some churches. Oh, that's so disrespectful. You know, because they, they, want, they want a monastery. They want stoicness. They want funeral dirges, not uplifting music. Because in their mind, you know, we, we have to, if we're going to honor God, we have to be like this. I did a funeral one time. It was a, um, a man who had been raised Catholic, but, but a couple years before he died, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And the priest wanted to charge too much to do the funeral, so the family asked me if I would do the funeral. And I said, yes, I, but you need to understand something. Um, it's, we're going to celebrate his life. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, no, you don't understand. We're celebrating his life. I said, if mourners come in, because I'd been to some Catholic funerals before, and right in the middle, like four or five women came in ranting and, and mourning and throwing themselves on the coffin and all. Like, We're not doing that. We're not doing that. I said, I will chase a woman out of here with a stick if we start doing that. And then I get there, and everybody's in black, and everybody's like this, and they're very stoic, and the organ's playing, and it's dimly lit, and it's so sad in there. And I get up to the pulpit, or the lectern, and I'm like, praise God, we are here today to celebrate the life. And I kind of did a little overboard just because I was trying to bring the room up a little bit. We're here to celebrate the life of Ramon. And we went through the whole thing like I do any other celebration of life. And we talked about the celebration. We talked about his life. We talked about him. We talked about where he is today. We talked about how we can be, have confidence that he is in heaven today with Jesus Christ. How can we be sad about that? Amen. And people are like looking at me like I'm crazy. I got a couple little scattered amens here and there. But when a Christian goes home, I can be sad. I have done services. I've done funerals where, where I, I am sad because I miss that person. But I can't be sad for them. They're in the presence of their Savior. And I think we lose sight as Christians that we don't want to salt things because we think it's going to be disrespectful to bring life and to bring goodness and to bring, bring, bring happiness into situations because we think we have to be stoic. We have to be like the world. Christians, church should be exciting. Our fellowship should be exciting. So you're like, oh, it's so, it's so noisy during the fellowships. Yeah, praise God. Isn't that great? It's so noisy. You hear the kids yelling and people trying to talk over them. And it's great. Isn't it? And our music, our music is uplifting. Music, Christian music should be some of the happiest music out there because we're, we're not talking about going and, and our, you know, our dog getting hit by a truck and, and we're drinking a beer on the, on the pier because of it. Right? We're talking about a day we're going to see our Lord again. 
We're talking about a Christ that's the, that sacrificed himself for us. How can we not be excited? How can that not be happy music? How can that be a funeral dirge? Christians, as the salt, we're supposed to change the world. We can't even change what's going on in these four walls. We're the salt. I'm the salt. You're the salt. We need to flavor this world. How do we do that? We do that through the fruits of the Spirit. And Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against, there, against such there is no law. Did you hear that list? Is that a sad list? Let's look at that list again. Look how sad this list is. Love. Isn't love sad? Peace. Oh, I skip one. Joy. Joy, really? Oh. Peace. Who wants that, right? Peace? Who wants, the, who wants an elimination of drama from their lives? I know some people that love drama, but they're not normal. Long-suffering? Who made this list? This is so sad. Isn't it sad? Long-suffering? Gentleness? Goodness? Oh. Faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law? What a sad, depressing list. It's the opposite, isn't it? How can we have this? How can these be the things that are coming out of us? This is the fruit. If we're, if we're following Jesus Christ and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and, and we're, we're studying his word and we're getting closer, this is what's coming out of us. How can we be sad with this coming out of us? How can we not change the world if this is what's coming out of us? Salt's also quiet. Doesn't take very much salt. It's not loud. If it's done right, when you put it on the food, you can't even taste the salt. But it's changed it. As Christians, we don't have to be overwhelming. We don't have to be dominating. We don't have to be pushy. We can be meek and accomplish what it is we need to accomplish. We can make the changes that we need to make. 1 Peter 3, 4 says, let your, this is your behavior, let your behavior, let you, let it, let it be the hidden man of the heart. And that which is not corruptible, even the ornate of the meek and the quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Let it be meek. You know what another characteristic of salt is? It spreads. If you put too much salt on something, you just put too much salt on all of it. It's not like, oh, well, I'll just scoop off the salt. No, no, it's there. It's not coming out now. It spreads. It moves. A sprinkle of salt has a widespread effect. It doesn't take much from us. We talk about sometimes that the, the labors of this world can get tough. They, they can, but understand when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're being the salt, it doesn't take much salt. It really doesn't take that much. And it changes everything around us. Changes everything we touch. It's also irrepressible. Once applied, it can't be stopped. You know, as a kid, I'd put too much salt on something, so you know what you know what I'd do to cancel it out? Pepper, right? They come together. One's white, one's black. It's got to be the opposite. Oh, too much salt, I'll put some pepper on. It never worked. Because salt and pepper aren't the opposite, so I'm not sure why they're together on the table, but they're always together. Even though they're not opposites, once you put too much salt on it, you've got too much salt. The only thing you can do is get more of whatever it was and try and cut it that way. 
It's irrepressible. It can't be stopped. You can't remove it. Christians, you have a power. And we're, the, the, the media may try and shut you down, and Facebook might try and, sh- try and shut you down, and your boss may try and shut you down, and the world in general may try and shut you down. Understand, if you're being the salt, it's irrepressible. They can't stop you. They can't take it out. They can't take it away. You know, I watch a little bit of football. I don't watch as much football as I used to watch, but, but after the game, you know, they'll go and they'll put a mic in somebody's face. Tell me, you know, what were the keys to the game? And they stop. You know, Tebow, they used to put it in his face. They stopped putting it in his face because his first thing was always Jesus Christ because he knew they were going to cut him off. So he couldn't wait to get too far into the conversation and he'd start talking about Jesus Christ. There's several of them out there that are like that, and they don't put the mics in their faces anymore. And it was funny. I was watching one one day, and, and the guy started, I don't even remember who the guy was, but he starts talking about Jesus Christ and how you know, that he, he, thanked, he wanted to thank Jesus Christ for the win today, and the screen went blank. And the lady came on, oh, we're having some technical difficulties. <sighs> really? I mean, it was blatantly obvious. So they just, oh, he said, Jesus, hit the button, and they cut him off. They can try and repress us, but they can't repress it. Salt cannot be repressed. It cannot be stopped once it's applied. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. But it shall, shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Just like the salt is irrepressible. That's a picture of God's word is irrepressible. And when God's word lives through us, and we're preaching God's word, and we're living God's word, it becomes irrepressible. It will not return void. It will accomplish the will of the Father every single time. We have tracks in the back, and some people are like, you know, I don't know if it's given to tracks. Does anybody ever read those things? A lot of people don't. But I guarantee you it's got the word of God, and I guarantee you it will not return void. There are stories. Probably one of the greatest testimonies is, is of a man. He was a baseball player, professional baseball player, and, and he got injured, and he couldn't play anymore, and he fell down on hard times, and he became basically the town drunk. He became known as that guy. He was always drunk, always drunk. And he woke up one day, literally woke up in the gutter. Not figuratively, he was literally in the gutter. He woke up, he sat up, and there was something on his face. He pulls it off, and it was a gospel tract. And he read it. And sitting there in the gutter, with his hangover raging, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Stop relying upon the bottle and started relying upon Jesus Christ. His name was William, Billy. He went by Billy. Last name was Sunday. I encourage you, look up Billy Sunday and see what a fiery preacher he was. He became a, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thousands got saved under his ministry. Why? Because somebody handed somebody a track and that person wadded it up and threw it on the ground. He woke up with it stuck on his head. Billy Sunday was such a fiery preacher, I will not do this. He was also a little man. He would get so excited when he was preaching, he would walk down to the audience and he would stand on the rows, the back of the rows, the pews. I will not do that. 
and then he would start walking from pew to pew. It will not return void. We also see in verse number 13, it says, you're the salt of the, of the what? The earth. You see, there's a place where we function. We're not the salt of heaven. There's nothing we can do here that's going to impact heaven. <coughs> I see a lot, of, a lot of people talking about that, you know, where they're laying away treasures in heaven, and that's fine. Lay away treasures in heaven. But understand, you're the salt here. You're the salt of this earth. You can't change anything in heaven, but you can impact this earth. There's nobody in heaven that needs to hear the gospel. They live the gospel. There are people here on this earth that have never heard, and they need to hear today. The disciples' place of ministry is here on the earth. Why? One, the world is bland and tasteless. Without Jesus Christ, there's nothing of joy or peace in this world. They need the salt. Secondly, this world is decaying and it's rotting. They need to be preserved by the salt. Thirdly, this world is corrupt. This world is foul. This world needs the change that salt can bring them. We're the only hope. There is no plan B. There is no, well, if this doesn't work, we'll try this in heaven. No, this is it. You are the salt. Too many believers believe like they live like they're already in heaven, that they've done everything they do, they're safe, they're secure, and, and, and where our salvation is safe and secure, we're still in this world. We still need to pay attention to this earth. We still need to focus upon the decay and, and the degradations going on. We still need to be here adding salt and flavor to this earth because we can't add it to heaven. I think sometimes we're storing up salt. We store up all of our salt here in the storehouse, here in the church, and, and we get all this saltiness in here. Well, that sounds different. We get all that saltiness in here, but we're not taking it out to the, the world. You see, we're the merchants of salt, and those are our customers. They're the ones that need it. They're the ones that desire it. And we bring all our salt here, and we don't take it and share it with them. Being the salt of the earth isn't about coming to church. It's not about being here. It's about what we do when we leave here. The people that we interact with, they're the ones that need the salt. I don't need your salt. They need your salt. Every day we come in contact with people who are, who are bland and lifeless because they have no salt. You're the salt. In Luke 10.2, he says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers unto the harvest. The harvest is late then. How much later is the harvest today? How much further behind have we gotten over the years? The disciples' mission, salt the earth. Salt the earth. Believers are the salt of the earth, not the salt of heaven. Believers must be salted themselves, though. We must have the salt. And in Mark 9, 50, it says, Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its, its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourself, and have peace one with another. Believers must spread out into the world. We must take the salt out into the world. 
We must be the salt of the world. There is no salt other than the believers. Nothing else that can salt this earth. In Mark 16, 15, he says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. There's a danger given to us in verse number 13, too. We lose our savor. We lose our saltiness. Now, salt in and of itself doesn't necessarily lose its saltiness, but it becomes corrupted. And the time that this was written, in a context, they understood it. The Palestinians, they would, they would gather the salt, but they would gather dirt with it, too. And when they would gather dirt with the salt, it made the salt useless. The salt has to be clean. The salt has to be pure. It can't be full of impurities. It needs to be separated from the world. When it became dirty and contaminated, it became good for nothing. In fact, it actually became less than good for nothing. It actually became destructive. You see, the only thing that contaminated salt is good for is for salting the ground. And when ground is salted, it destroys the fertility of the soil. It's not just useless, it's destructive. This is the picture of the backslidden Christian. The Christian who, who claims to be a Christian but doesn't go to church. The Christian that claims to be a Christian but doesn't read their Bible. The, the Christian that claims to be a Christian and but yet they, they live just like the world with all the spots of the world. This is the backslidden Christian. His salt has become useless. But it's become worse than that. It's not just that he has no value. He has actually become destructive. Because people will associate him as the salt. And yet he has no saltiness. They associate Christ with him. In Luke 9, 62, talks about, he says, And Jesus said to them, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We have to keep our eyes upon Jesus Christ. When we start to backslide, we start to walk away from Christ, and most of us have been there. At one point in our life, we've been there where we've, we've walked away from Christ. And still, we still claim to be this pious Christian. We still claim to be righteous. We, you know, we claim, well, well, I don't go to church because I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. You don't understand Jesus if you can say you don't love the church. Jesus is his bride. Ryan, would you consider somebody a good friend that said, Ryan, I really like you, but Lisa, come on, what were you thinking? She just chats, chat, 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 and it's the complete opposite. But you'd look at that person and say, that person doesn't even understand me, right? You do love her, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. You see what I'm saying? You know, they're like, oh, we, Ryan, man, I love you, Ryan, Ryan, but Lisa? If you don't understand why Risa, why Risa, Risa, this, we, we've combined you two now. It's Risa. Um, if you don't understand why Risa loves, oh, my goodness. <laughs> if you don't understand why Wes loves Pam, Ram, we could do this all day. Uh, if we don't understand why Wes loves Pam, then do you really understand Wes? Right? And people do that with Jesus all the time, these, these pious, self-righteous Christians who believe that they know better than everybody else. Why? Because, well, my way is better than everybody else's way. 
where the Bible says something completely different here. The Bible talks about a completely different type of love, but they don't like that love because that love, they feel like it constrains them, and it actually liberates them. So they, they backslide, they leave the church, they leave the Christians, they leave people, and then, and then they damage the soil. You see, our job is to go and, and sow seeds. We go out and we plant seeds, and then we water seeds, and God gives the increase on those seeds. But we've got those Christians who used to be salty, but now their salt is all contaminated, but they're still trying to spread out that, that contaminated salt, and all it's doing is it's damaging the, the, the ground. So when we're, we're planting seeds, we're planting seeds into, into soil that's been damaged by these backslidden Christians. It's not fertile anymore. They begin to repeat the lies of the backslidden Christian. There is a judgment here for those. When our salt loses its flavor, when we become backslidden, it's not... We just do what we want. There's a judgment there. Verse 13 details that judgment. They experience the the judgment of God. First of all, they're cast out. They're cast out. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out. That should startle Christians. This should startle us that we could be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. Not only will we be cast away, cast out, we're cast away. He says, but I keep under my body and bring into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. 1 Corinthians 9.27 We'll experience loss at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're, we're going to be judged, Christians. We're going to be judged based upon our, our works, not whether or not we get into heaven or not, but based upon our works. It's a time of reward, but, but the Bible tells us we could lose some rewards based on what we've done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now this all he's talking to is the, are the Christians. That's who the audience is here. Not everybody will be at this judgment. The, the lost will be at, at a different judgment. We'll be at the, the judgment seat of Christ. They'll be at the white throne judgment. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, we talk about going to the, in the judgment seat of Christ and receiving crowns for the things that we've done. Understand, we can lose those rewards based upon the bad things that we've done. Those things can be taken from us. We can stand there empty-handed, still getting into heaven. This isn't this judgment's not about getting into heaven or not. Still getting into heaven, but we can lose those rewards that we've worked for. If salt loses its flavor, how does it restore its flavor? For the Christian, if you've lost your flavor, there's one source to be resalted today. There's one source to get your salt back, and that's the same source that gave you your saltiness in the first place. That's Jesus Christ. If you're a backslidden Christian, the solution to your problem, the solution to your lack of savor, the solution to everything you've got, if, you, if you're a backslidden Christian, the solution is Jesus Christ. Simply coming back and again, repenting, not for salvation, but to be restored. It's a restoration. 
This is the great thing about Jesus Christ. When he saves us, we're saved. But we can damage that relationship. We can do horrible damage to that relationship. Think about it. Back to the, the married couples again. When you're married, you're married. But you can damage that relationship. Right? You ever gotten to a point in your, your, in your marriage where it didn't even feel like you were married anymore? That's a sad season to go through. But what does it take to be restored? Coming back together. Asking forgiveness. And working on restoration. I'm going to be honest with you, that's a lot more work than what it is to be restored to Jesus Christ. It's harder to restore a marriage than it is to restore our walk with Christ. One, in a marriage, it's hard to determine who's at fault. I give you a little tip. It's both of you. We'll just put it there. It's both. You may not believe that, and I understand that you don't believe that, but I have yet to counsel a couple where it wasn't both their faults. just hasn't happened. Maybe one day, but it's both your faults. And the key to, to a marriage reconciliation, though, I'm, I'm going to go down this little path here for just a second because I, I feel like we need to. Here's the key to marital uh, reconciliation. Um, I'm not going to, I won't name any couples because I don't think any couples here are going through anything like that and I don't want that to be the perception. But if uh, wife and husband, if you want to restore your marriage, wife, you need to work on the wife. And husband, you need to work on the husband. Because it's, wife, it's your fault. And husband, it's your fault. And only when you guys start to work on, on, on yourselves will you begin to see any changes in the other person. It's the God is honest truth. Marriage counseling isn't that hard. The hardest part about marriage counseling is getting people to stop talking. Stop saying, well, he did this and she did this. I tell people in marriage counseling, I don't care. Unless somebody's getting physically abused or their life is in danger, it just doesn't matter what each person did. Because you're both wrong. Now nobody's coming to counseling to me anymore. But with Jesus and our restoration of Jesus, that's a lot simpler. You know why? Because when Jesus, when we have a falling out with Jesus, he's not wrong. We're always wrong. So we don't even have to sit down and say, well, he did this and she did this. And well, if he doesn't do this, I'm not going to do this. And we don't have to go through any of that. It's always you're wrong. Anytime there's any kind of a rift between you and God, you're the problem. That makes it so much simpler. Because we don't have to worry about what he's doing because he is ready to be restored to us. He's just waiting for us to come back to him. So if you've lost your savor, if you've lost your saltiness, the way to get that saltiness back, go back to Jesus. That's where you got it from in the first place. He's your source. And, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you have no saltiness. You don't have the ability to change others. You don't have the ability to change this world. Why? Because you haven't been changed yourself. You have no salt to share. Until you're willing to humble yourself before Christ, turn from your sins, and turn to him you'll still be without that salt. 
When we don't have the salt in our lives, we decay. Our souls decay. That salt preserves us. Gives us that, that everlasting life in heaven. Where are you at today? Are you salty and sharing your salt? Are you, are you lacking some savor? And need to get resalted? Or you never received the salt of Jesus Christ in the first place? Everybody in this room falls into one of those three categories. Where are you?